welcome to the Humanize IT Podcast. And today we're gonna start a four part series for a lot of you business individuals out there on a brief intro to the cloud. And I have Skip Ziggler with me as always, and he's trying out a new mic today. So let us know if you actually enjoy it or if it's a dear God, please make him stop. So <laughs> happy new year, happy new year. <laughs> <laughs> with, uh, with the cloud, the interesting thing is people ask me all the time, what is the cloud? And we're getting to that point where it's like, it's like a friend whose name you should know, and it's a little awkward to ask. And so <laughs> people like, they don't want to say, what is the cloud? Because, bah, duh, everybody should know what it is right now. So everybody walks around saying, I know what the cloud is. I have things in the cloud. But do you really know how it kind of came to be and what actually is going on? Is the cloud good? Is the cloud bad? And in our series, we're going to cover those things. So today, we're just going to talk about the old days and how we got to the cloud and how it evolved from the 80s all the way up to today. So Skip, can you tell me a little bit about where was the cloud in the 80s? Well, yeah, and uh, and I also want to set everybody up. So we, we do have an epic fail story this time, uh, and I'll get to tell you uh, when, uh, tell you a little bit later about when I was sitting in the dark. <laughs> so uh, nice, uh, nice little learning experience there. But yeah, so the cloud, you know, and yes, I am the old IT guy, and so I did start in the 80s. Uh, so if there are some really old ones out there. I'm going to either bring back nostalgic memories with this statement or I'm going to bring back horrible nightmares. So <laughs> brace yourself for, you know, uh, your, your own little version of PTSD. So uh, it starts out with those, those three little letters, right? We all, we all love or hate IBM 3274 cluster controller. Yay. <laughs> Most people. Now, remember, we got a lot of business listeners. They're like, what the heck is that? <laughs> oh, are. crap. Nerd talk. We just had like a bunch of people swerve off the road as they fell asleep. <laughs> right. So, but what that was, it was, you know, obviously an obvious piece of equipment and allowed, you know, disparate, you know, remote, uh, you know, uh, people access centralized data, you know, and that's the, the old days and the mainframes uh, and all this. And this was a common and a, and a key element in, in a lot of that connectivity. And it was pretty cool because... If your organization was big enough and if they'd spent enough in IT resources, then they would have access to these big mainframes sitting off somewhere in some data center and, you know, doing all these great things for the company. But, you know, you're in a field office, you're in, uh, you know, a divisional office or something away from and obviously, you know, the mainframe cost point uh, was at the level you didn't roll those out to everybody. So you had one and everybody had to access it through a variety of means. So in essence, that that was the beginning of the cloud. We all companies had their private little clouds sitting in their corporate offices and everybody accessed them through some um, method. However, that method was really, really low. I don't know. It worked. I don't know what it worked, but with green screens, you know, so it, it was or orange. It was, there were orange screens. Yes, but most of them were green. <laughs> And it was just, you know, it was just text. It was often difficult to use. When we had the benefits of the cloud and, and centralized data and centralized processing, but the end user experience lacked, lacked greatly, I guess. Well, yeah, I mean, for a visualization for you business users out there, if you've ever seen the movie Tron, 
the bad guy in Tron is the master control program. Uh, that, that thing that sits in the middle and like, controls all the data, has all the information. And we're going to come circle back to this illustration a little later as Tron destroys the, the MCP. And, uh, it, it, you know, people talk about how the mainframe was bad. I did not dislike the mainframe because it was fast. I mean, yes. it was limited. You didn't have the cool look of the Windows uh, PCs where you can move your icons around and you had that great UI there. But with the mainframe, you could like operate the entire thing from the keyboard. No mouse necessary. You just tap, you could tab type and push up no and down arrows necessary. and you were done. There wasn't a mouse option. <laughs> <laughs> so... Uh, but that's the point. It's like you used your hands on a keyboard. There was no like shifting back and forth or searching for things. Yes. It was just a very simple interface, but it was very effective at what it did. And this was in contrast with the time we had Macintoshes out there that some people use, which weren't as business friendly, but they were great for small businesses because they only needed like one and you could do your, you could do your, um, your budget on there. But MCP or the the mainframe was great because you could have an entire business operating off of a centralized computer, and it was fairly cheap because you didn't have to buy everybody computers. You just had to buy them a cheap little terminal device that could be thrown in a lake and it had no data on it. Yeah, you know, and that you know it to kind of set this up for the next part of our conversation. You know, how did it evolve? That experience was it was it was good and bad. That green screen, that your orange screen that you talked about, that hands on the keyboard, you could you could utilize it really fast. But you you kind of had to know what you're doing. I mean, there were no really intuitive pop-ups. The the interface didn't lend itself to just figuring out what you needed to do. You you needed to know, and if you wanted to make that work right, you needed to know off the top of your head what was that key code that you enter in here that pops up the next field. I mean, it was a large learning curve for a lot of people to sit down and work with those applications. It became very effective, but it, it was it was a lot to work with. And I think that's probably what set up this move away from cloud 1.0, which is, is mainframes, it is the old data centers, you know, in, in the 80s. And I think that move away was, you know, the, to the client server environment, when we could, we could load an application on a PC, and it was much more intuitive, it had more than one color, you know, people got tired of staring at green or orange all day long, you know, and so they wanted this screen to come up with all these options and these pop up and these hover, um, you know, prompts and, and hints, and there was just so much more, but we couldn't do that with the resources that were available to us, especially with our wide area communications. I mean, this is pre-internet or early internet, you know, dial-up sort of days, and that just wasn't conducive to, you know, the communications that we had at the time. So we had to bring that heavy computing uh, resource down into the uh, into the business and pair that up with the heavy client computing so that that's what led us away from the mainframe i guess you know it was a lot of, it was a lot of good there was a lot of good there and i think ultimately that's what brought us back to the mainframe but in in a much better method and you know we've us old you know it guys we, we call the cloud we call it mainframe 2.0 i mean we see everybody coming back to the way it used to be 
but it looks totally different. Yeah, I'm going to add a little flavor text in there because what we had was we had the centralized computer that had all the data perfectly organized. I mean, it was like an A-type personality's wet dream. Yes. yes and then, it, but it was expensive. These small businesses coming up could not afford a mainframe a lot of the times. And it required a lot of cabling. Uh, I have I have removed a significant amount of mainframe cabling going to terminals. There is money to be made in that in that copper. Oh yeah. <laughs> when we start, when we just we just said, hey, let's put the power into the users' hands, and that was like a whole thing with IBM and with Microsoft and this idea that you could have the mainframe experience plus you get all mm-hmm. control over your data and everything you want on this computer in front of you. And it was cheap. It was something that you could do for $2,000. You could have your own. It wasn't a $100,000 item. I don't remember what the price points were back then because I wasn't in the, in the price purchasing game back then. But for $2,000, you could have a really amazing computer that could do everything that a mainframe could. And it could have like 30 other applications and you could play games on it. <laughs> and the so, games. yeah, don't forget the games. You know what? Don't underestimate the power of games because. Oh yes. How did the How did iPod or how did the iPhone become popular? <laughs> oh yeah. Don't underestimate yeah. the power of apps, and that is the was the driving thing. Is like, hey, now I can have this small business, and I can have these amazing computers. They're going to allow me to do all these awesome things and save on personnel, and it's right in front of me. But then this caused another problem. Now, all this data, we got this new term that came out, decentralized data, or um, data sprawl became this new term, whereas in the mainframe days, all the important data was locked up in this warehouse, it was very well organized, and we knew exactly how to get it. If the power to the mainframe failed, no one could get to the data, but at least we knew it was safe. Now, we had copies of financial data on these little PCs all over the business, and this is the 90s here, all over the business were scattered these little PCs with very important sensitive data on them. And compliance wasn't really a huge thing back then, but man, were people stealing things like crazy. Mm-hmm. And we ended up with or hard... It, the data was wrong. The data you know? was so wrong. So we have all these different data sets out there. Somebody makes a change. Somebody uploads this part. It doesn't get replicated. You know, people aren't using the right data sources. And so now you got companies making decisions off of data that's not right. It's not organized. It is the opposite of that atypical, you know, situation you was talking about earlier, you know, where everything is, is, is handled exactly and, and taken care of precisely. Now it's just a hodgepodge all over the place. Yeah. And so it was kind of this give and take. Yes. We had this wild free frontier where people could just make stuff up. You want to run a web server off your computer? Go ahead and do it. And we, many of us did. And that was the world we lived in. And now there's data everywhere. Is it right? Is it wrong? We don't know. But at least it's not controlled yeah. by a central entity and I can do whatever I want with it. I can be creative. Yeah. And thus enters the 2000s, the late 90s, early 2000s with the dot-com bubble, where people were creating things at such an extraordinary rate and saying, hey, come look at my computer. And so you could go out to the web and you could go to somebody's website on their computer that had some really cool stuff on it and they could share yeah. data that ways. And the, I remember the first things I saw was car dealerships publishing their inventories. These uh, used car salesmen could go out and they could put all of their cars 
as images on their website and anybody could see it. And those those PCs were, were locally hosted. There was a yeah. PC sitting inside that car dealer that was in a closet somewhere that some teenage kid probably put together for them <laughs> and built this little crappy website. But the thing is, they started moving inventory really fast because now people could check and see if a car was in inventory from their home. And they yeah. said, oh, there's a really good deal here. And these are things that we take for granted today. You go car shopping today, you've got aggregators of cars that you can just look at. Like, where is the Jeep Wrangler 2017 edition in yellow? You can ask <laughs> the internet that, and there's a website dedicated to finding that for you and making sure that you're paying the right price. Back then, you're just glad you got to know if the car was in, like if they had a car on the lot. Yeah. And so this this disparate workplace, not the mainframe wasn't around, anybody could create a website, anybody, well, with, with HTML knowledge, I should say, and working <laughs> knowledge of IIS or Apache, let's not get into those right now, but um, could create a website. And they did. And it, be, and it became this web bubble and people started creating useful things. Hey, come here and we'll allow you to do X, Y, or Z. Come here and we'll help you with your payments. Come here and you'll see porn. You get naked pictures all day. And, <laughs> and that is an important part of the internet because these things drove consumers to change their behavior. Whereas before, the only way to get on a computer and to get the information you wanted was to go to a business, sit down in a mainframe, and look up the information you wanted or a library. Now, from the comfort of your home PC, anything you could think of, you could search for because these millions and millions of computers had data on them that was readily available and people were publishing. And that is your worldwide web. All these computers communicating and offering up information. But there came a cost to that. And that is the fact that you have this web server that your business is being very successful with and it's on one computer. What happens when that kid who built that website for you uh, goes off to college or gets hired somewhere or moves overseas? Now what do you do? Who's yeah, going gonna to fix that website that this kid figured out when he was 15 years old? What happens <laughs> when that PC together. dies? Yeah. How many yeah. how many de how many calls have you gotten in your life, Skip, of some desperate business owner saying, "My hard drive died. Can you help me?" Oh yes, yeah, and well, you ask them where the backups is. You know the answer to that. There are no backups. You know, and so there's nothing to restore to. And even if you did, you know, some of that stuff was cobbled together so so convoluted that yep. it would just never work any other way. And so uh, there are, there are numerous times we just had to sit down and start from scratch. And build this again, and yep. and perhaps you know that that building over process, it did help refine that, and we found better ways. And ultimately, the better way was to not do it yourself. You know, the, the better yep. way was to to let someone else do all this building, and then you just you know manage the data back into it. Yeah, and and that was great, but the the number of people who had the capacity to build a website or to manage that stuff it, they were so few that mm -hmm. you just kind of grabbed whoever you could on um, in the early dot com days and then when the bust happened uh it was you know everything kind of started falling people realized there were better places to be people started picking their favorites and pcs started getting more powerful and we started getting server farms as uh, people with really a lot of money or had a lot of knowledge at the time would build these um, 
these very safe controlled environments that had lots of computers in them. And if one computer went down, they had another one that they could move everything over to. And these became that, as Skip said, there's a better way. And so these became known as data centers, places where we would centralize our data again, starting to sound familiar like the mainframe again. Yeah. But it was on it was on like a hundred computers there. And so you could hire or you could lease space in these data centers and they would take care of the hardware for you. All you had to do is install your web components and away you went. It was still yours. You still got to do everything you want, but somebody else took care of that nasty PC that kept failing on you. And a lot of times what happened was somebody would come to me and say, um, Adam, I don't know what to do. I, I actually had this conversation. I, a lady who was two years into her thesis and her hard drive started making a ticking noise. <laughs> now, Adam Walter walked on water that day. <laughs> I had heard in a random forum that you could freeze a hard drive and it shrunk the bearings enough to get it spinning and allow you to read data off it for a brief period. So through a series of undelete programs and five-minute intervals, because that's how long it would take for the hard drive to warm back up, uh-huh. I was able to I was able to restore the thesis. But this imagine that this is your entire business. Now, so this is why people started buying into data centers, because that problem happened, and their next move from like an IT guy like me was like, you need to get someplace in a company called Rackspace or over in a data center where they can take care and put you on more reliable hardware because your company is important enough to you and you're you're doing enough stuff on these computers that they need to be reliable. So we moved all of our advanced things like websites and our finances onto these really stable things we started calling servers. They served up data from these data centers. And when that happened, we still kept our PCs. So we still had some of the original problem your emails locally, you have a whole bunch of things that are local, but at least your at least your data is on these more reliable hardware platforms. And then something about 2004 happened that was just amazing. Just absolutely incredible and a lot of us just sat there and just basked in the awesomeness of what was called VMware. <laughs> yeah. And uh anybody who is in IT is familiar with VMware. Though there are different um, vendors that make similar things. But what they did was they made it so that the hardware in the data centers was no longer necessary, at least from a, uh, a technical standpoint. So VMware created this software that said, I don't care what computer hardware you have, I'll run it. And so yeah. you'd put it, it was called an abstraction layer. And so I could take a single PC and I could make it look like 15 PCs. So I could buy a really beefy, awesome computer and I could make it be a web farm. I could host like 10 things on it. And then if it ever went down, I would just move these things over to another piece of hardware. It doesn't matter if it was Compaq, HP, Dell, or some white box thing that Skip made on his weekend. (laughs) VMware didn't care. And you could just copy and paste all of your data over in one big file. And this made backups easier. It made things so reliable. And then you can make websites that ran on hundreds of servers easily serving up data. So if one of them went down, the rest of them the rest of them stayed up and no one noticed. And yep. this was an amazing thing. I remember back in the day trying to build a VMware farm out of my house because I knew this would be the future. You know what? I could host as many 
uh, Active Directory services I wanted, and these businesses just can pay me for access to the Active Directory. They don't want to host their yep. own servers. They don't want to buy space at a uh, in a server farm. All they need to do is pay me for access, and I'll give them their own server. I can have one server that I pay $2,000 for, and I can serve it up to 20 businesses and have 20 servers on it. I couldn't get anybody in the small business associations to actually buy into this idea of mine, this business plan I had. It's too new. Yeah. It was, it was too, too new, new. Or I'm just a really bad salesman. But this leads us into kind of what Skip has been talking about. Is there a better way? And VMware gave us something that none of us had really been thinking about. It gave us a way to centralize our data, but while spreading it out. So it was the best of both worlds. You could put your data at a data center, but you could spread it out across tons of PCs and keep it um, available. Well, here's the deal. It's not really just a technical thing Adam's talking about. I mean, this was a principle because, and we've talked about this on previous podcasts, this gave us the ability to scale. And, you know, so my, my little skipism for that is, you know, it's either, it's either going to scale or fail. And these data centers were, were going to become unwieldy. You know, there was just so much space, so much hardware, so much electricity, so much cooling that you could put in a, a specific amount of space. And it just was, it was unsustainable to, to make that growth without some sort of virtualization like like VMware and VMware was, and it's, you know, in its contemporaries that are out there today, those virtualizations give us the ability to scale at what has become incredible levels. So that scale or fail principle really kicked in. And that's where I guess what we call that cloud 3.0. I don't know. I'm struggling with my versioning there, but that, that is really where the, the cloud truly took off because now we had all this hardware that we could maximize. It wasn't just about, hey, I've got a server over here and I can put it and centralize it. I've got resources over here. It may be one, it may be 10 servers. It doesn't really matter, but I'm going to be able to get all of the computing power that I possibly can out of this box. And so I can maximize my investment. I can maximize my, my, my revenue and really grow this in a profitable and sustainable manner. To create a good analogy here it, for you business people, it's like imagine all your your workers at your business. Now, if somebody leaves, you have to hire a new person. You have to train them up. You have to get them going, teach them where to go and everything. Imagine if you didn't have to train your employees anymore, that you could just forklift yeah. all of the abilities of your old employee onto the new one instantly. Uh-huh. That yep. is the level of awesomeness that this this virtualization brought to us. And then with all these people making all this money on virtualization, they started coming up with clever ways to make it even easier. This next level, as, as, as Skip put it, like the cloud 3.0, where, hey, don't even worry about virtualization. I'm just going to give you access to the data that you want. So Office 365, you no longer needed to install Office anymore. You can just access it from one of these virtual farms where there's, your data is spread across virtually. Here's something that, you, that is more relevant to a lot of you today who binge Netflix. When was yeah. the last time you watched a Netflix show and got interrupted midstream? Yeah. Think about that really, really carefully. Netflix did something called Chaos Monkey. 
Chaos Monkey, you can Google this right now, was a program that was created by Netflix engineers to randomly delete and disrupt servers inside their farms. All right. The idea was, and it's, this is a real thing, the idea is, is that there are so many servers serving up the data, your TV show. Uh, if you watch Cobra Kai like I do, you're watching Cobra Kai, and are <laughs> you streaming from one server? Yes and no. But it's set up in such a way that if that server gets killed by Chaos Monkey, the program, you don't know. Yeah. And so the engineers know that at any given time, a server may go down for a random reason, but things are built so robustly that the end user does not know. Now, in the mainframe days, somebody kills the mainframe, the entire company's done. That's right. In yep. the 90s, when we had these individual PCs, your PC might catch on fire. I have literally had computers spew fire at me. <laughs> Dust fires are very real in western Nebraska. And they there come out of PCs, yeah. and that computer is gone. In the 2000s, if that was your web server, your website was gone. That means no sales. And yep. in even in the early VMware days, if the VMware server went down, you had 20 servers die. Uh-huh. With the cloud technology, nothing dies. And that's yeah. gonna and I would like Skip to tell to tell us about his fail story about sitting in the dark at this point. And how do you end up sitting in the dark with a cloud environment? How possibly could this stuff fail? So my, my sitting in the dark is I am the cloud. So working with an organization and, and we we developed the the infrastructure. We had the data center. We had the computing capabilities. And we looked at this and go, you know, we have a lot of unused capacity. And we, we followed very much uh, Amazon's uh, mindset is we, we built this giant, you know, uh, data center. And we weren't using all of its resources. So we had the very reasonable and bright idea, hey, let's sell our extra capacity. And so we did that and it, it was working really, really well. And we took the efforts. I mean, we, we, we sat down, obviously the backups were the first part, you know, we, we knew that was the first step. That was a product that we were selling anyway. So that was easy for us. And then you get into a lot of the other uh, controls you have to put on that power and cooling. And it just is a lot to running a data center. And we had taken it basically as far as we could, given our, you know, the scope and the boundaries that work. And we had about four to six hours of runtime on batteries, which was really, really good. We were sitting on a really, really reliable um, electrical grid. And, but as life goes every once in a while, you know, things just don't go as planned. And one uh, late, late one day, uh, the power goes out and we kick over to batteries and we're thinking it's all great but uh, we hang around and a few hours later uh, the batteries eventually run out of juice and i'm sitting there in the the lobby of our office with the owner of the company lights are out batteries are off it's that eerie eerie silence that it guys get really uncomfortable around when you're around computers and data centers I mean, there's always this hum <laughs> there's always this noise it is and the worst feeling in the world it's kind of like when your house goes silent if you have kids and your house is dead silent you get this yes. like spidey tingle you yes. know yes. when a when a when a server goes down so you're like where's the whir 
Where is there's that something noise? Wrong. Yes. There's there's a disturbance in the force, and you see like you'll see all the IT people turn their heads. Uh-huh. <laughs> That's it. And so we, we were sitting there in the dark. Uh and at this time, you know, we, we had clients. And and fortunately there were there were mostly an eight to five shop and we were outside of that window, so we didn't have a, a huge impact to our clients, but we were sitting there going, Yeah, we need to go to the next level. We we we've got to get the generator going and we've got to you know, get that extra capacity in so that we could support that. And it just became an evolution. I mean, if you if you offer something great, you know, people are going to want that. And if you keep offering it really, really great, they're going to want that all the time. And and we, we developed that very much. We, it was something great and people wanted it all the time. And as an industry, that that's where the cloud came about. And it's a lot of work. I'll have to admit, you know, when the next kind of life cycle interval came around and we looked at our data center and go, okay, you know, we have stuff that's time to be refreshed. It's time to go to the next level. It's time to do this. We looked at that and went, no, I think we'll pass on this one. And we, we went to the big cloud providers. We were a small, we were a regional cloud provider and the scale ability of those those larger Amazon type services and there's a whole group of people up there. It's not just Amazon. They're you know Amazon and Microsoft and Google, kind of the bigger players there. But there's a very significant uh, industry there at the top of the food chain and cloud. And we went, you know, we're, we're just going to let these guys do it because that's all they do. Yep. All day long. They don't have anybody else. I mean, they've got dedicated people just managing the cooling system. It wasn't a part time job like for me, you know, to manage the the cooling system in a data center, it was someone's full-time job and they did it really well. And so we we learned uh, we learned to 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 flow with the scale. It's all about offloading risk and I think that's what we're going to talk about in the next series here or in the next uh, episode in our four-part series is what does this mean today? So now that we have a general understanding of the cloud, what does this mean from like a risk management standpoint? What does this mean for you as a business and how can you make it or make good decisions around should you move something to the cloud? Is the cloud going to help you? Is this this kind of nebulous thing that we've just been talking about today now, is it going to support your company? And so tune in for our next episode. What does this mean today? How can you apply the cloud to your organization? And we're going to talk about that in depth for all you business people who have all these questions. After that, we're going to talk about, is the cloud safe? And finally, does this mean the end of IT? Until then, we will see you guys later. 